0: Welcome to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast, where we challenge you to think differently about your approach to health and wellness. My name is Heather Duranja, and I'm excited to be here with you to take you on the journey from surviving to thriving. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, I have Jeremiah Campbell. Jeremiah is, a human, is in the human development field, building leaders one brick at a time. He and his wife, Mallory, run a successful podcast, Destined to Be, where they believe everyone deserves to live a life unstuck. Jeremiah, thank you so much for being here today. I'm excited to have a chat with you.
1: Absolutely. My honor to be on your show and to um, hopefully bring some value to your audience
0: absolutely i think that there will be immense value brought today so for those of you who do not know jeremiah he is an incredible human i had the opportunity of meeting you in person earlier this year before we <laughs> everyone's lives changed immensely for 2020 and you have some really sick energy like just being in your presence you can't help but feel like you're radiating so It's amazing you don't come across too many individuals um, like yourself who have that that significant of a presence and your light just shines really bright and so does your wife, Mallory. I'm I'm obsessed with Mal. I love watching all of her stories and following along with all of the adventures that are going on in your lives. You guys have a lot of exciting stuff going on. So I wanted to chat with you today for multiple reasons. you're an extremely business or you're an extremely busy businessman and you've got your hands in all kinds of different things. So I'd like to just chat with you about how you juggle it all and um, while being able to maintain sobriety. So if you're open to kind of telling the audience a little bit about your background and what got you here, um, I think that could be helpful.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Um, Thank you for those such kind words from Mallory and I. We we spend a, a, a lot of time, a lot of conscious effort, uh, meditation, um, breath work. We go through all the modalities to try to expand and deepen upon our spiritual experience, um, not just with each other, but with the universe and with our friends and family. Um, and this is this is new. Right. So. Um, Everything that we learn, we realize we get to we get to the other side of it and say, holy cow, I thought I knew stuff before I got here. And and I just we strive for those moments, those progressive moments um, and and growing and expanding, just just knowing more about ourselves so then we can better serve others. It never started like that. Like, I mean, um, we both grew up in southeast Michigan. Um, We live about. 10 minutes outside of the city limits of detroit um absolutely love detroit love the midwest it's cold it's only the snow here um and one of my favorite day times of the year is when the first snowfall comes and i get to sit in the hot tub and watch the snow come down and drink a coffee and now i have kids to do it with Um, so now it has a lot more meaning and substance um i i was raised in in a household um i have uh two brothers I'm the second youngest. Now I'm the youngest after my little brother passed away of a, of an overdose. Um, we'll get we'll get to that a little bit later. But I never I was I don't have any severe traumas. Um, I, I was middle class America. I didn't have too many wants that were unfulfilled. Um, I, I I I had this ism in me that I didn't realize what it was. Now in hindsight, after um, getting sober, I started realizing that there was needs in me that weren't being met, um, that I didn't know how to process properly. And through high school, I, uh, in junior high and elementary, and I, I went from group to group to group to group. And then I started putting meanings on things subconsciously. Well, at the time, I just thought that everybody around me had a better life than I did. And I had these these vivid images that other people were happier than me. And these ideas that they were better than me and these, this, these, these limited thoughts that I didn't come from anywhere. Like my parents loved me. Like my, my mom and my mom's sole purpose on this planet was to raise children. And she still does it with her grandkids. Like that's literally her purpose in life. And she, she verbalizes it. She knows it. Um, She doesn't value money or property or um, status or nothing. It's, it's to raise a family. And that's the mother that I had growing up and I still have today. And my dad like literally killed himself to build a life for my siblings and myself to have no wants unfulfilled. And that's what I had. Um, So there was no like triggering, there was no molestation, there was none of that. So I'm like, I never thought I would be a drug addict or an alcoholic. Like Those guys were the guys living under bridges. Those were the guys that um, were homeless. Um, They were stealing, they were in prisons and things like this. Mm -hmm. So I never thought in a million years, I'd be a drug addict. Unbeknownst to me, I like the effect that drugs and alcohol gave me. Um, they gave me, um, I remember the first time I smoked weed. I remember, and, and I was telling Mallory this the other day, I'm like, if I never had my first cigarette, I would have never smoked my first pot. Wow. And I would have never, if I would never have smoked pot, I would have never done pills. And, and, and so like people, it's so, it's so cheesy, especially now when I go give uh, talks through the nonprofit I'm involved with to get to those uh, you know, stages and say, well, marijuana is legal most places now. So like, how can you tell somebody not to smoke weed? And it's like, that literally, like there's no, we well, won't we'll get down that road, but I believe that is a gateway drug. I, I truly do. Marijuana was the only thing that i started with when I was about 14 years old and never stopped until my fifth inpatient rehab center.
0: Wow.
1: It was always a different modality. It was always a different prescription drug. And then until eventually led to um, IV heroin use. Wow is where it ended up. And it was progressive. Um, my parents got a divorce when I was 16. Um, I quit talking to my mother because we believed at the time, um, my outside sources told me that it was my mom that caused the divorce. Um, at a young age, I always thought it'd be cool to have a parents with the divorce until I went through it. I was like, dude, these kids get two Christmases. I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> and that was the, the idea um, of that. There was a professional motocross rider by the name of Jeremy McGrath um, mm-hmm. that rode dirt bikes. And I had a vision in my head at about six years old, seven years old, that he smoked cigarettes. And that was cool because my dad smoked. And I'm like, I'm gonna smoke cigarettes like Jeremy McGrath. I don't even know if the guy ever smoked, but I, I created the vision in my head. And that's when I started realizing how powerful the mind was. In, the, in, in my first drug of choice, I was telling everybody's fantasy, was putting myself in the guy down the street's shoes to then take myself out of the way I feel now, just to feel differently.
0: Mm, wow Um,
1: yes so that was through a couple different you know rehab centers and and going through that and then my parents got a divorce when I was 16 my dad was heartbroken and I took his side me and my 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 little brother and myself moved in with my dad and he immediately he was very strict like never like I remember him like taking a wooden paddle to me and because I like had a beer and like when I was like 13 and like we don't do that and like trying to be the strict parent and then he all of a sudden became the cool parent And it was the place where me and all my friends would go get drunk, we would put kegs of beer in the garage. Um, And that was the first time at 16 years old, um, I started uh, experiencing DT's when I was 16 from drinking, um, five o'clock vodka and beer on a daily basis. Um, and I remember being shivering cold one day in school, um, they sent me to the principal's office and they're like, you got to go home. You're sick. And I'm like, I'm not sick. Um, and later to find out that I was going through DTs and and my body needed alcohol, um, first thing in the morning. Uh, and then I started drinking and driving and I'm like, this is stupid. I'm going to get arrested. I don't want to do this. So then I was introduced to opiates. Mm-hmm. And opiates gave me the same exact feeling, yet I was able to be Superman because nobody knew I was on it. I couldn't, you couldn't smell booze. Right. Later to find out everybody knew I was on it, my eyes started to sink in my head. You couldn't see my pupils. Um, and by that time, it was too late. Wow. I switched one addiction from another. It went from, you know, taking uh, Vicodin to um, Oxycontin, from Oxycontin to heroin, sniffing it. And then I would always build that up, right? Like everybody is, I would would see people and be like, at least I'm not that bad. Mm -hmm. Um, At least I won't do that. You guys are junkies. Like I'm not. And I always dressed nice and I always played the part. I would hang out with people that weren't drug addicts until it got too bad, until those people wouldn't want to hang out with me. I would get high during the day and I would act like it was two different lives that I was living. Um, and that was a really euphoric feeling for me that allowed me to um, live in that fantasy land that I created when I was as a safety net um, because I, I didn't know how to process my insecurities. I didn't know how to process my... Um, being it just being okay with being average and these different emotions that I had um, later to find out they call them character defects and shortcomings I didn't know what they were at the time I thought that's just what it was
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and then I just I just kind of I didn't continue down that road um, I was the guy that most people didn't want to get high with um, God always placed on my heart this this hope
0: mm-hmm.
1: always and, and that's where that a divine power it's not me it's me getting out of my own way and that electric light comes on inside me. And I just, the excitement and joy for life, I can't hide. And I, I just start talking and I can't stop and, and the overwhelming. So the race to get drugs and the minute I got that, it created the relief because nothing else mattered until I got high. And then once I got high, nothing mattered.
0: So in the midst, because of, in the midst of your darkness, you still found yourself having the desire to shine your own light. Is that oh,
1: I, oh my God, I would literally be sitting passenger and, and opiates, they, like my metabolism, the way it worked, it was, I would get it. Well, like some people would nod out, fall asleep, crash cars, things like that. I would get, I would not be able to sleep. I would get up, I get super excited and I would I would literally preach. I was like the preacher and they people would look at me and they would call me Campbell, my last name, and they'd say, Campbell, just chill out, bro. Like, let me enjoy this. You're ruining my high. Because I'd be like, hey, did you know, like- there's something better in life than this. Like I know this feels good, but like, dude, there's something like there's something better than this. I know there is. Like, I come on, guys. Like, let's go to church. Like, let's go find a Bible. Like, and I was I was like like the evangelist of like getting sober before I could actually get sober. And and um that, I was always like that. I mean, there was dark, deep, dark times where I would go to church and cry and know where to turn to. I didn't know I didn't. I never planned on ending up in twelve steps. I never planned on being there, like with those those type of people. I always consider myself a better than those people. Um, I always judge them and look down upon them, um, and come to find out, I mean, that's the reason I'm alive today, you know. And and it's meeting those people and. And being able to do, I used to can like until I got deep into personal development, I used to call myself an addict or an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started going through different programs and realizing uh, like the difference between my um, reptilian brain and my prefrontal cortex and the different sides and the way the modalities of the brain work. And so I refer to myself as a person in recovery, mm-hmm. um, and I'm a person that. I'll always be in recovery, but what am I in recovery from? What's the deepest, darkest secrets that I have right now that are, re- are keeping me from being more free from self, you know, and, and, and going down that journey, five different rehab centers later, I, I, all I wanted to do was go back to the person that I was. I wasn't a bad guy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I I had hobbies and I had loved ones and I had friends and I had joy and I had all these wonderful things. And I'm like, and I, I didn't understand the analogy when they're like, once a, cucumber becomes a pickle it'll never be a cucumber again mm. you're transformed you've had deep and impactful experiences in your life that'll never allow you to go back to see that mm-hmm. um and that's why I had to kept hitting my head and hitting my head onto those but now I'm realizing in what's going on in the world is how deep rooted because one one of the things when I relapsed was I remember relapsing between rehabs three and four and I had eight months of sobriety a day shy of eight months wow and and i was in the car and it was a beautiful day and i just got introduced to the industry that i'm in now so i've been sober um, my sobriety date is july 26 2007 and, and and i remember sitting in the car and back then it was september 15, oh six and and i remember sitting in the car and, and my buddy and i knew at the depth of my soul mm-hmm. that i would never get high again like ever like i went from a homeless bum. And I remember going to a 12 step meeting and opening the blue book and looking at it and not being able to physically read. I couldn't physically read. Like I graduated in high school, I graduated. And that was another part of my addiction. I I was, I failed 11 classes my first two years of high school. And then I was on the A honor roll due to prescription um, methamphetamines adderall. And um, yeah, I was on Adderall, and that was the only reason I graduated high school. It did exactly what it did. It made me a robot. It made me a lunatic. It made me, um, and that was literally through the grace of God, I was able to not get strung out on that. I took it as prescribed, um, and I graduated high school. Um, And and to be able to get from from that point to understand how deep it is, and I'm driving in the car, and 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 I literally went from not being able to read, you know, and I did what you know I call it the Mister T starter kit. And like, when you see, when you go to a meeting and you see somebody that's like a gold chain on and they're like, and and all I needed was that spark of hope. And and this guy introduced me to what I do for a living. He came up to me and he's like, Hey, you want a job? And I'm like, who me? And I'm looking behind me. I'm like, you want to hire me? Like what? He's like, yeah, we're gonna go knock doors. We're gonna go canvassing. And I'm like, what, huh? And that was the divine. And he came in and and what all it took was he had store-bought cigarettes mm. and, a, and a Red Bull. What? And I'm like this guy's made it, like he's come, like this guy has it go. And like, literally I was like rolling my, I haven't smoked cigarettes in 12 years. Like he's roll, I had like this little roller that I couldn't afford to buy my own cigarettes, like rolling my own cigarettes and a $1 rip at energy drink. And I'm like, and I'm grateful for like, I'm like literally like, I'm so glad that, and because when I got sober, my, my I was so broken where my mind said everything was in $5 increments. Cause at that point I was buying $5 nickel packs of heroin. And so everything that I saw was in $5 increments and it wasn't like, it wasn't that. So, so we're driving and my life had gotten so much better. I mean, I got, instead of getting a license back, I went and bought two cars and like just, you know, the immature stuff that I did uh-huh. and, and he looked at, and he's like, you want to get high. And we were in front of a seven 11. And I said, yes, I do. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Literally just somebody asking me and then we're talking on the way to the drug spot. And he says, we call them dope spots. And he's like, he's like, I said, statistically, one of us is going to continue to get high. And we both guaranteed each other that we would never, that it wasn't going to be us that we're going to be like the exception rather than the rule. And he ended up in rehab. I ended, or he ended up in jail. I ended up in two different rehab centers later, but I knew I would never get high again. And that in rehabs three and five or four and five, then I started to realize like, dude, you knew it. Like I was doing the work. I was getting on my knees and praying. I was, I was, I was, um, you know, had service positions, I had everything that they told me to do, Mm -hmm. except the the second, secondary surrender. Mm -hmm. The first surrender is I can't control drugs and alcohols. The second surrender is, is once I get my life back together, I still can't control those things. So I didn't have that second surrender. And it it was just that it it, it happened how it was supposed to. And then between rehab four and five, um, it was after five is when my little brother passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was 18 years old of a heroin overdose. Uh, I had three, just shy. I think I had 60 days sober, um, when he passed away. And, and then I remember just telling my aunt, she's like, Jeremiah, you, you can make sure that he doesn't die in vain. And we started recovery homes and nonprofits and all these wonderful things have started mm-hmm. because of his death. And we still, to this day, we're still not letting my little brother, Kyle die in vain. Um, and that's just, it's, it's, it's part of my why. Um, to be able to, to bring that to people. So.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I know that we have a lot of listeners who themselves are either in the recovery process or potentially there's people who are, you know, considering that maybe sobriety is something that they desire right now, being that we're in 2020 and we've experienced things right now that we've never experienced before. It's caused a lot of people to really, lean into drugs and alcohol as a form of coping with all of the uncertainty. And so it breaks my heart to see so many people out there suffering, but for those who are out there suffering, there is hope, it's a choice. It's a matter of deciding that you are worthy and deserving of choosing something better for yourself. And, you know, so Jeremiah, I wanna ask you a question because this is something I feel a lot of addicts or people in the recovery process. First and foremost, I don't really like to use the word addict. I don't like to associate with referring to individuals as addicts because it reinforces that in their subconscious brain. It it keeps that alive and it allows for the potential for relapse to be much stronger because there's a disconnect with the belief system our heart says, I'm not, I'm not gonna do drugs, but then the subconscious mind says, but you're an addict, you're an addict, you're an addict. And so for myself, what I feel is that this is something that really does um, potentially support our ability to relapse and justify it in a sense. So I like the fact that you refer to yourself as in the recovery process. I think that that's a um, better way for us to shift our subconscious mind into new belief patterns so that that can become our new default instead of it just going back to the addict, addict, addict. What are your thoughts?
1: I love it. So my my friends that are 12-step thumpers, and God bless them because... Thank God they were there thumping when I needed them. Um, And there's no, there's no ill talk to them or one of my best friends, my partner in my recovery homes, he is through and through, he's not into personal development. So I was so apt to learning personal development and being in this industry because of my experience with the 12 steps Mm -hmm. and 12 steps is literally personal transformation the entire thing is personal development um it just uses the 12 steps rather than other modalities mm-hmm. um i i had a coach about a year ago that really drove this home for me and it was a guy named jim fortin and he does subconscious belief training mm-hmm. and jim is amazing and jim jim took this and he and he was he was it was in one of his modules and, and he talked about the reptilian side of the brain and you you explained it exactly how he did um where you your, your mind's going to tell you um I'm a drug addict. I'm always be a drug addict because that's what my literature tells me. But no, it doesn't. My literature tells me that I'm a recovered as a result of having a spiritual experience experience because of the steps. Yes. Um, but we like look over that. And, and then in the back of the book, it talks about different types of this is just the beginning of our understanding. And this book was written in the early 1900s. So where now we're starting to understand brain science back I mean I'm 34 years old back when I was younger I remember people telling me that we only use five to ten percent of our brain and the other part's just there and we don't know how to use it but now we realize that's our subconscious that's our guiding our beliefs our subconscious doesn't have any rationality all it's doing is telling us what we need to do um but it's not giving us it, it doesn't have it's only creative and it's so so we're looking at the science based behind it. And I'm like, well, if I tell myself I can't have something, and then I tell myself I am something, if I tell myself that I'm an alcoholic, but I can't have it, I'm creating conflict yes. on purpose. Yes.
0: Yes.
1: And I'm like, why would I do that when when I know the world, the energy, everything in the world, biblical, scientific, I mean, it doesn't matter whose modalities you're using is all about movement flow, love and vibration. And I'm like, well, if I can get my own life into vibration of where I wanted to go to project this. Mm -hmm. um, I'm then able to uh, build an understanding model. And Jim quick says it best. If you hear it, you'll forget it. If you see it, you'll, you'll, um, you'll remember it. And if you can teach it, you'll understand it. Absolutely. So, so, so then when I'm able to build these models and I'm like, that's what the 12 step does. It allows me, they say, you haven't worked all 12 steps until you've worked 24. Mm-hmm. so when you've learned them you've had the transformation then you take somebody else through the 12 steps and watch their transformation because that's where the real growth is anyways when you're watching other people you're able to give it mm-hmm. to somebody else because i've experienced it it's so beautiful so when i look at like calling myself that anymore i mean i said that for for i mean years 10 years and then we used to do these funny cliches like, you know i'm jeremiah i qualify to be here and it was always you know in the um you know you guys, I'm Jeremiah and you guys prayed for me to be here and all these like funny things that was just trying to give me the individuality, but it's trying to create the divide when I realize that I am that person in the chair mm-hmm. and I can see my person. Um, and, and, and when I look at somebody, especially one of, some of my favorite meetings to attend are inpatient rehab. And uh, the problem with COVID is is the real problem we have in society. The real root of anything that's going on is is our mental health system is completely freaking broken. And we look, we look at mental health as a weakness. Everybody deals with addiction. Everybody deals with, I mean, I mean, there's not one person in the world that doesn't have limited beliefs. I learned the other day that limited beliefs are any belief pretty much that you have is limiting you from having another belief. And and this woman tells me, she's like, Jeremiah, what, what preferences do you have that are blocking you from possibility? And I'm like, oh my God, all my preferences. Like, <laughs> and, and then I'm like, now then your world starts to get blown open. And then I realize how ignorant I've been. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's such a beautiful time. Mm-hmm. Like I use all of these, the COVID, the, the world, all those things, as time to grow. I'm like, okay, if our governor shuts things down, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so much more prepared than the last time she shuts that right. down. Exactly. I'm so much more, so blessed, yeah. it's, it's beyond blessings.
0: Yeah, I love. I love, I really like that perspective. Thank you for sharing your your experience with the, all of that. Um, you know, so I work with the with substance recovery um, population, and one of the things that I notice, and and for myself going through the process myself, um, that was a real challenge was the self forgiveness. Being able to forgive yourself for the choices that you've made, you know, up to that point that got you where you're at, being able to forgive others for the things that they have done to you and being able to um, just truly forgive yourself and allow yourself the permission and opportunity to start growing in a direction that is more aligned with what your heart desires. But what I see is so many people cannot forgive themselves and because they can't forgive themselves, they stay stuck in that limiting belief system that keeps reinforcing the subconscious mind that they're the addict, they're not worthy and deserving, you know, they're never going to achieve their goals, their desires, they're never going to have sobriety because of all of the things that they've done in the past. So, for you personally, how did you work through the self-forgiveness, especially with having a sibling who passed away from the same sort of, um, you know, things that you were doing? How do you how do you manage that? How do you get to where you're at now?
1: Oh man, that what what a great question. Um, it's it's for me, and it's always been it's a it's a choice,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? I get the opportunity to wake up in the morning and I have a choice. Mm -hmm. So once, once I was chemically detoxed from drugs and alcohol, they say five years you'll hear a sonic boom, your head popping out of your ass and like these different cliches that you hear. Like I didn't never heard the sonic boom. I never heard anything of that. But one thing I was 100% for sure of is the gift of desperation. The, the feeling That you can't explain to somebody when, when you know that you can't live, continue to live the way that you are living Mm -hmm. and you can't continue and, and you can't imagine life living it without the drugs and alcohol. So you can't, you can't, you can't figure out a way in your mind to make sense of living the same way you're living or the other way. And it's like what am I going to do? And I call that the, the gift of desperation to being able to, and this is something I took from somebody else, right? Like to be able to, 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 to learn those different modalities, but it's an active choice of, of figuring out why I'm worth it. And, and everything people used to say huge in in 12 steps, Southeast Michigan, fake it till you make it, fake it till you make it, fake it till you make it, Brother. show up no matter, right? Like shit, fake it till you make it. And, and I, I took that a step farther and <laughs> I say, be until you become.
0: Ooh, I like you know, that. Ooh. Ooh.
1: Yeah. And it's like in, in, in faking it, like I, I tried to play this facade, but like, who, who do I want to be? And that just asked me other questions. Like, who do I want to be? So like, if, if I sit there, I'm playing the victim. I know if I'm the victim, I can't create. Victims don't create. Victims look for excuses. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes back to extreme ownership. Do I blame my dad for using drugs and alcohol with me for my drug addiction? Do I blame my me and my dad partying to be part of allowing my brother, my little brother that passed away to go on and and end up dying of this? Mm-hmm. So what we do is we get caught in this pinnacle point. And what I did was I just figured out this stuff happened. Mm-hmm. How can this stuff serve me? Right. Um, and and that's when it was like fake it till you make it be it till you become like, just, just immerse yourself in it. And I can't change the fact that my brother died. I can't change the fact that I'm now a cucumber. What I can change is my perception on that cucumber. I tell people now, like, yeah, I was a like people come to our house and like see our stuff mm-hmm. and they'll say, oh, wow, you've made it. Oh my God, like you're so young and this is so wonderful. And I'm like, oh, by the way, I was addicted to heroin for four years, like IVing many times a day. And they're like, they're like perplexed, right? They have no idea. And they're like, and they usually say, I'm so sorry um, or something like that. And I'm like, oh my God, I would have none of this around me. Right? I wouldn't, I would have no perception of, of what good and bad is. I would. That experience formed me so now I have to build upon those little, those little experiences. So I get the choice to forgive myself. I get the choice to be able to do that. So anybody that's listening to this, that wakes up in the morning and has that in them, like you guys loved me until I figured out how to love myself mm-hmm. in these meetings. You guys showed me how to be humble. I didn't have money for food and you guys took me to, to get food at a restaurant And you guys paid it forward. And I looked at you guys like you were crazy. And I'm like, why are you, what do you want from me? Or what do you need from me that you're going to take me under your wing? And now in hindsight, I see what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Somebody had done it for them. Mm -hmm. And the only way we can keep it, we have is by giving it away. Freer and more abundantly than when I got it. And then there's no better feeling than helping somebody else be able to get to that. And I like money. I like excess. I like abundance. I like all of these things, but at the end of the day, nobody's ever going to remember that. Nobody's ever going to remember me for those things. People are going to remember me for the way that I made them feel or how I showed up for them when nobody else would or how I trusted them. And then we built our business. Our, our My entire companies are, and my partner's companies are all built on helping other people. So our, our thing is building success and we do we, we take guys from the three-quarter houses, we take guys from the streets and we we, we we house them and we give them jobs and we give them a clear path to success mm-hmm. and, and that all comes from a place where I didn't know that I was worth it. So now we're like, we force feed it because if I know if I love you until you can learn to love yourself, then you can do it to other people. And I'm like, that to me is the Michael Jackson, the man in the mirror. And that's our purpose. Like, that's literally like at the end of the day, all the stuff's cool, but like that shit's on lease. Like we just built this house and I'm like, I look at it and I smile and I laugh and how much anger and frustration and how much time it took away from my kids and my wife. And I'm like, one day, somebody's going to knock this house down. It all comes to an end eventually. And I'm like, what's, what did I learn along the way? And how can I use that to better serve other people? And and that's, that's kind of where we're at now.
0: Well, I, I love that. And I love the fact that you don't you allow yourself to let go of the need for attachment. And so what I see with individuals who are trying to go through the recovery process is they have an attachment to the identity of being an addict. And maybe they have been this addict for so so long. They don't know what it looks like to not be the addict. And so um, I think it's it's important that individuals really allow themselves the opportunity to let go of the attachment to the addict that they they have been up to this point. So when you're going through this process, you're going through sobriety, you're making the choice to forgive. How did you let go of that identity of the addict in order to evolve into this, you know, this uh, cucumber? That you are now, or this pickle that you are now.
1: Yeah. So that's a, that's another great question. Um, I, I've been to rehab five times, and I've never stayed for more than six days.
0: What?
1: Um, I had so what? much. Yeah, never stayed more than six days. So my last, yeah, that, my, that was my last time. I, I, shit. I mostly de- detoxed and released. Wow. Never, i have never lived in have never lived in a, I've never lived in a three-quarter house. Like wow. I, I, yeah. And and I know that's like the exception rather than the rule for sure. Um, Absolutely. I had so much. <laughs> I had so much going on in life. I lived in my mom's basement. Had no job, no friends, no like no phone, no car, no nothing, but I couldn't stay in rehab. Yeah. Like I could not stay in rehab. And that was just a belief that I told myself, right? And I was able, and I hope somebody's listening to this, that, that like inpatient rehab, for me, I was never able to not, to stop using especially prescription drugs. I was not, ne- until to this day, Thank God I don't have to detox now, but like, it's still to this day, I, I look back and I was never able to, prescription drugs were actually harder to detox from than heroin. Oh, like yeah. I was, I, I never detoxed in my life successfully off of Oxycontin well, ever. You
0: know, yeah. Real quick, I want to, and I'm sorry to interrupt yes. you, but I think it's important for people to understand why it's so much harder to detox off the pharmacological agents than it was the actual heroin. Heroin our bodies, our, our, nervous system is, um, impacted by these drugs, right? So with heroin, we get a quick rapid release into the system. It goes in, it does what it needs to do, and then it clears out rather quickly. But with the pharmacological agents, these things are slower time released. So they're slowly releasing a stimulus into the blood system. That's having an impact on your nervous system. And as a result of that, it's much more addictive for the body because it's constantly getting that fix versus getting the rapid fix and then it quickly dissipating from the bloodstream. With the, with the uh, pharmacological, the pills, it's just a constant slow drip and it's so much harder to get off of.
1: I didn't know that. thank you for sharing that for sure. I just remember, and, and for any opiate, Addict, they know the restless legs, and you like it feels like your legs are you, you want to cut them off, and you can't stop kicking, mm-hmm. and and just just the, the horrors. And I remember a guy; it was my sister's boyfriend in high school, and he had gotten sober. He had started doing heroin. and got sober. I think he was like two or three years sober when I got sober. And uh, I remember him driving me to a twelve-step meeting, and he said to me, he says, "Let me tell you something. If if you never want to, and I was still bogue, if you never want to feel this way again." it's simple. Just don't pick back up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, and then it hit me. And I'm like, now I got to figure out what do I have to do or how do I have to live to not want to pick back up? Mm-hmm. And what do I have to do? So now it's all about the vision of the future. Now it's all about building that before it was more of the downside. It was more like, I know it's talking about playing the tapes all the way through. Right. And, and like, what does it end up for me? Like, yes. And I, and I, and I tried. The just drinking. I tried the just, and and I remember driving after, like I think it was re. I forget which rehab one, it was. Maybe two. I would. I would get out. I remember my dad picked me up, and we smoked weed on the way home from rehab, because it was just get back to the person you were before. I didn't understand addiction. I didn't understand it. I just got a little carried away with prescription pills.
0: So, do you feel like when you were going through that that part of Part of the reason you kept picking back up was because you identified so much with the addict that you didn't know how to detach from that and let that go and allow yourself an opportunity to create something different.
1: At that point, I didn't surrender to the idea that it was an addict.
0: Okay.
1: I, I got, Yeah, I just got carried away with drugs. Like, okay. so one of the only requirement for memberships, of a 12 step in our tradition says the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I didn't have the, I had the desire to stop. So I was able to be calling myself a member. Mm -hmm. However, what I really needed was, was a, for me to tell myself, it was easy to say I'm an addict. It was easy to say I'm an alcoholic. It was easy to say those things, but then I feel it and that I really mean it. Mm-hmm. So if I didn't understand the first part of, of, of getting help is admitting to yourself that you can't on your own or you can't be able to do these type of things. And, and so to, to, to wrap my identity around that, I still work on that. Like still to this day, it's still a daily thing. It's not as, as pressing as it was before. Um, but environment, right. You go to the barbershop enough times, you're going to get a haircut. So I got all of those wet places and wet faces out of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I literally, so my whole life, like my wife on our show, you'll always hear her call me Jeremy. So my whole life, I went by Jeremy. And when I turned 19 and, and when I was in rehab, they're like, Hey, you need to change everything about yourself. And I'm like, well, certainly I'm like, I like Jeremiah better anyways. It's a way cooler name. That's actually my name um and then for some reason my whole life the only time i called jeremiah was when i was in trouble with my mom
0: Uh um
1: so that was part of the identity so like it's funny my wife points it out like we have a gathering at our house it was um you'll hear some people call me jeremy and then some of the people that call me jeremiah like who's jeremy (laughs) <laughs> the people, so it, it, it goes back and forth, but that's part of the identity thing, but it's, it's forgiving myself. But if, if I want to change something, one of the, one of the best things that I do to change that identity is put something in its place. Mm-hmm. So we know to take things away is, is a lot of times better than adding more stuff in, a, in such a crazy world in life. Like what I mean by that is stop going to the bar, stop going around people that want to do this, mm-hmm. um, that want to drink or, or have. I have friends that, that that like drinking I was at a, uh, my EO retreat and they brought a case of wine and one guy drank six six bottles of wine in two nights yeah. and and it doesn't affect me I, I don't I'm allowed to go wherever I want to go wherever I'm spiritually fit enough to be around those types of people but early on I, you wouldn't catch me at any of those places right. no matter what it took me three to four years to not feel especially if somebody went something went missing in a house yeah like to not be like that did I steal that right and that was that was at a subconscious level did I steal that did I that I, th- you know, what they're always going to make me. F- they automatically look right at me because I'm a drug addict, right? And like, and that that was the part of the identity. Instead, they always say people that go to that that would go to, uh, you know, uh, an alcoholic type of 12-step program. They would say uh, both of them will steal your wallet, but one will help you look for it, right? <laughs> and and uh, so it. It's building the, it's building the vision of who I want to become and start replacing those. If I want to be a healthy person, I need to start watching what I eat and start putting that in my diet. If I want to be a, uh, a physically um, athletic person, I need to start working out and it was starting to create those imageries around me and then you start attracting those people into your life. so it's it's, it's switching the thoughts of when I wake up automatically, replace those with different behaviors. And then 66 or 67 days, whatever it is to create those different habits. And that's why they say 90 meetings in 90 days. Yeah. Um, and those interactions to do those. We had meetings re- right through COVID, um, right through all the shutdowns and, and some people wore masks, some people didn't. Um, but like, I think this is more important because something happens at a, at a table where you're dealing with a bunch of grownups or younger, young adults that are sitting around discussing their emotions and feelings. Mm-hmm. So if you look back at a 20,000 foot view and you look down and you say, these guys should be figuring out how to rip people off, how to rob people, how to get more drugs, not how to better their lives. And we always say, thank God, we're not all sick on the same days because the magic that takes place when you have two people coming together and that goes back to personal development, it's the same thing as a mastermind. And when you got two people coming together to solve the same problems that are like-minded individuals, I don't want to hear about your war stories. I don't want to hear about that. I want to hear about how you went off on your boss, but you brought it back in and you brought your recovery, the new version of yourself. Talk to me about your solutions. Talk to me about what you did. I don't want to hear that everything's fine. And we talk about effed um, up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional is the fine emotion. And I'm, I'm okay. No, you're not. Like, you're not checking in. You're not You're not digging deeper. Like every every emotion is not truth. It's not fact it's an indicator it's it's a symptom of the actual cause like what's the cause the cause is is that my 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 dad wasn't emotional to me growing up so i went towards my mom so now i'm dependent on my wife to take my mom's shoe to show me the love that's the cause right so i need to go back to the the 5 the 10 year old version of jeremiah and say Dude, it was okay. I'll never be that person again, but I can reenact it. I can relive that through spiritual and emotional healings.
0: Right, absolutely. That's beautiful. So you were mentioning diet, and you know, I have to go there. So I'm curious yes. throughout with with your process, your recovery process. What role did diet, if any, play for you and being able to become more conscious, become more aware of who Jeremiah was, what behaviors were actually going on, you know, that, that caused us to, to crave things and want to do things, did diet, did you change your diet? Did you do anything to support yourself going through the the sobriety process or the recovery process?
1: Not one bit. So I never drank coffee until I got sober and then I became a coffee junkie, which made me, you know, that's so, so what we say is we are, we are we are right. Like, so, so what we say in, in the meetings and things uh, we are, we want to be, depe- you know, chemically depend independent, right? So we want to stay away from minor mood altering chemicals. And that's what caffeine is. That's what nicotine is. That's what all those things are. So, so it's like, how healthy do you want to get? So when I got, when I got, I I'm a junk food kid. I love sweets. I love junk food. I love all of those things. So when I got I did pretty good at first, but then I was physically working in construction. So I would eat all kinds of crappy food. It's not so recently till I realized the influence of the microbiome and like different different modalities about like eating. Like I, I've done elimination diets. I've done all the holistic. I've done vegan. I've done it all just to see how my body reacts to it because now I'm, now I'm a seeker. Now I'm afraid to not push myself to be uncomfortable because there's you, no such thing as maintaining my sobriety. I'm growing or I'm dying. Like one of the two is going to take place. I don't want to digress. I've digressed for so many years in different areas. And then I focus, focus, switch the focus, focus on that. Ooh, shiny stuff. There's a squirrel. Like, let's go over there. Let's go down that rabbit hole. Let's focus on that. And and so so now with Mallory, Mallory got postpartum when, when she had our first son. And I was like 2, two eighteen at the time. I'm 6'1". And I had zero muscle on me. And I was this this fat kid with this super hot chick, and and I hated it. So then I went from, go ahead.
0: she is What's that? she is super hot.
1: Thank you. and And she tries, and she works at it, really she doesn't try. She works at it. And that's what she did to pull herself out of postpartum with therapy, with you know hormones and and all those things. So now we're really conscious of each other. Now, I know, when I get the kids little Caesar's breadsticks, and I decide to eat four of those, my workout the next day is going to suffer because of it. Mm-hmm. And I know how I'm going to feel. I know when I eat red meat for two meals out of a day, I can't handle that. I get red meat once once every two to three days because my it, it screws me up on the inside. I don't want to feel good. If I if and then so the food for me, um, I'm an emotional eater. Like I'm a binge eater even to this day. If I have a bad day. Um, and, and, and while I'm processing it, I, I search, I seek the food for comfort yeah. um, in sweets and things like that. So, so I know it's a sheer indicator. What are you not addressing? Right. What's going on in your life right now um, that I'm able to I have to switch that because like, it always leaves success leaves clues. So does bad decisions. Right. And I'm, and I'm like, okay, so what is my food going to, my intake look like? So Mallory food preps for me. So my four, my first four meals of the day are all, I mean, super clean, like literally chicken, chicken, rice, and broccoli. Nice. Like every day. And I'm, and I'm a creature of habit and that's exactly what I do and and, and I have to and then the different supplements that I take and and what I do to make me feel better so when I feel better I make better decisions when I make better decisions I have a better life when I have a better life I'm able to attract better people better quality uh, team members for the company uh, better deals people want people are more attracted to me um, as a source of energy and a source of a source of um, joy rather than and I'm not saying you gotta be physically fit to do all that, it's just, it's more helpful. And I feel better because of it. Yeah.
0: Well, Rick, I mean, I, again, this is my area of specialty. And so research shows that individuals who really make a proactive effort at changing their diet immediately as they are going through the recovery process have much higher circumstances of being able to maintain sobriety. Our gut and our brain are correlated What happens in one happens in the other. So the sooner that we can start to address that connection, that intercorrelated relationship, it can help speed up the process, allow better cognitive, and so it makes it easier for us to make those decisions and feel confident with the decisions that we're making. So um, I am a big, big promoter and advocate for diet I, one of the problems that I have with 12 step is that they do encourage sugar, caffeine, and nicotine as the replacements. And um, my theory is if we're going to go through this, let's go through it. Let's go ahead and just knock out all of the addictions instead of just mask one for another because we're, you know, slowing, we're drawing out this process. So, um, it's, it's been beautiful to have the opportunity to work in this, this demographic and help individuals and see the immense amount of success that they have in such a short time. I have people sending me messages that, you know, are three, six, nine months post recovery. And they're like, the diet was such a huge part of me being able to feel better so that I could be stronger and and you know, have the desire to wanna to start developing new hobbies, new habits, um, discovering new things about themselves. So for me, it's extremely rewarding to have a small piece in that journey um, to becoming better versions of themselves. So one more quick question I have for you. I find that a lot of individuals going through recovery struggle to find sponsors. So, what are your recommendations? How, how, you know, what do you say to people who are out there looking for a sponsor? How do they get one?
1: Um, you got to ask. So, you're going to miss 100% of the shots you never take, Wayne Gretzky. Um, go, you got to put yourself out there. You, you literally have to. I remember when I left treatment, they, they sent me to meetings and they said, there's an announcement section at a meeting and they say, is there any blank and blank? Um, Announcements, right? They'll say, and then they'll say the 12-step program you're at. Is there any announcements that are, and, and every group has a different way of saying it. And then they made me stand up and say my name and say, I'm new and I'm looking for a temporary sponsor. Okay. Um, sponsors are hard to find, um, good ones that click with you. So what we do is, I don't know if, if anybody can relate to being extremely cunning, baffling and powerful. Um, we're master manipulators. We're super resourceful and that's a subconscious trait. Um, To be able to, so finding somebody that's healthy for you, usually for me was the guy that I didn't want to ask to be my sponsor, Mm -hmm. the guy that was going to tell me things that I didn't want to hear. So I wasn't looking for my mom. I was looking for my dad to say, shut the F up sit down and this is what you have to do. I didn't need somebody to tell me it's going to be okay. Don't pick up no matter what. I needed somebody to be extremely rude to me and say that is absolutely not okay. So a sponsor's job is to take you through the 12 steps and nothing else.
0: Yeah. That's
1: literally what their job is. We create them as a as a uh the so there's there's the program and then there's the fellowship. So as the fellowship is, we create this and they become friends, and then they start giving us relationship advice, and then they start giving us financial advice. Mine did, and I was super grateful that he did. Um, He was able to talk me through those kind of things. So you got to put yourself out there. You got to raise your hand and talk. If you're from this area, the side of town in Metro Detroit, we have a a, a nonprofit that I'm involved with called Families Against Narcotics, and they are a, a nonprofit that we have recovery coaches and we also have family recovery coaches. So we will get you involved for no cost to you. It's basically a paid sponsor with super resources. So we are able to provide them with housing for two weeks. Um, we give them scholarships to provide them with three quarter houses. We provide them with job opportunities. They, they get the opportunity if they don't have clothes, we'll take them and get them clothes at one of the resale shops and do those type of things to get them along their way different ideologies one says you got to make it you got you got to take the bus and you got to do all this one side the other side is that doesn't work so in Michigan what they've been doing is we do around anywhere from five days to 30 days inpatient rehab and then what they started doing in Macomb County specifically in Wayne County and Oakland right around Detroit was then they started taking people and giving them up to six months in a sober living house Mm -hmm. to give them that that accountability in a three-quarter house living so getting a sponsor and getting somebody back when i got sober there wasn't there was like the coaching and the personal development thing wasn't going on now it's a pay-for-play thing now you can get coaches and you can get sobriety and you can do all these things depending on your resources Mm -hmm. and and people that pay pay attention and we know that as a culture however the point of the 12 steps is now now you're competing with people's times. Mm -hmm. So um, just putting yourself out there and asking somebody, and then this is life or death for me. I don't have a choice. You need to help me get through these 12 steps because I will die. And when you take it with that amount of professionalism, not professionalism, it's because it's not, I would say that that amount of seriousness and Mm -hmm. say, look, I need somebody that's willing to take me. Do you have, the time that it takes to take somebody through the steps. I heard this crazy bastard Jeremiah on this podcast and he said listen this is what you have to do and literally stand up at every meeting and say I need a temporary sponsor. Ask them to be your temporary sponsor until you can see that they're serious about it and when I sponsor people I say you got to call me for 90 days. Every single day you have to call me for 90 days and we need to open up a dialogue. I need to know what you think how you act, how you feel um, so so I understand better how your, your, your mind is functioning when you have those decisions because then the phones not as heavy when you think it's a good idea to go pick up a drink or a drug.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for all of your inspiration and sharing your personal experiences. I know there's a lot of people right now who are listening who really resonate with the information that you're sharing. And it's so beautiful to see All of the success that you have created for yourself by first and foremost, forgiving yourself, allowing yourself the opportunity to grow into the best version of yourself and know that you are worthy and deserving of every single energy, effort, and resource that you put into that process. So I think it's just so beautiful, your wife and you are such an inspiration. You guys head over to Destined to Be podcast to learn more about Jeremiah and Mallory and all of the amazing things they are doing. And where can the listeners find you?
1: So the best place that I stay is um, on on Instagram at Jeremiah underscore Campbell. um, Or you can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook.
0: Fabulous. I will make sure to include all of those in the show notes so that it makes it easy for them to find you. And Jeremiah, thank you again for your time, your energy, your presence. You are a force and it's just a beautiful thing to see you out there doing all of this work and, and shining your light and sharing the love.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Make sure you leave a review and let me know what you think. I love reading your feedback. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Heather Duranja. And don't forget to take a screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and tag me. I love to share it. See you on the next episode.